the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good morning, everybody. Um, just got one quick thing to keep us all on the straight and narrow. You know, think positive, and you can. If you think positive all the time, good things will happen. Joy is not in things; it is in us. That was Richard Wagner, by the way. Anyway, we have a a news newsletter uh, out this week. Um, it's for February, so we're a little early, but that's okay. And uh, you know, you can get that if you go to WHK fourteen twenty AM. Um. And you go to local podcast down to Tim Hayes or Smart Investor Show. It goes right to my uh, my uh, uh, not my Facebook page. I was just going to say Facebook, but my web my web page. So uh, if you hit the contact me or email me, we can set you up on our, our monthly newsletter. It comes out every month. We don't harass you or anything like that. You can you know if you want to talk to somebody who who's been getting it for a while, I'm sure they they'd like to, you can talk to them, but. Uh, this month, we have tips for targeting your retirement savings goal. The SECURE Act uh, offers new opportunities for individuals and businesses, by the way, and closing the gap in your insurance cover, uh, coverage. And uh, how can I lower my credit card get debt? How can I improve my uh, credit score, too? So uh, don't forget, you can always get our Savvy Investors Credit Book. I've been pushing that, and nobody's paying attention. Uh, credit's important, uh, and how do you use it is even more important. So... Uh, I'll leave it at that. Our global best income ideas, our insights for uh, 2020, what we're thinking is going to happen to the market. The global best energy ideas, you know, I mentioned that I thought the dollar would rally. Uh, it, it is. Uh, it's up almost, uh, well, it was 96. It's now 97.3. That's a big move in dollar terms. I think it'll stay that way for a while. There's a lot of money coming to the S&P funds. And I guess the question is, when does that stop? Uh, and I call it the Marxism of the markets. Um, you know, the S&P has got killed a few times while other money managers have done well. Uh, you know, Marshfield averaged about 9.5%, while the S&P averaged about 58 during the last decade, uh, this, this, or the, the first decade of the uh, millennial. And then the second decade, they averaged about 125 while the market averaged about eight. So uh, you got to be careful with the S&P 500, and it's been very narrow, and people keep putting money into the same thing. So I just, you know, uh, remember that uh, you, you should be more and more careful with the S&P 500 stocks. Some of these things are parabolic, and, and I'm going to talk about uh, a conversation with Charlie this week and uh, later on in the show. So, uh, according to Wealth Engine data, there are approximately 618 millennial millionaires, uh, 618,000 that is. Millennial millionaires make up approximately 2% of the total U.S. Uh, millionaire population. So if you think there's 618,000 millennials that are millionaires and they're only 2% of the population, there's a big, there's a vast majority uh, of people worth more than a million dollars. There's a lot of people that were, are worth a million dollars. Why aren't you? That's that's the question. So um, a lot of these guys are starting to buy properties. And if you noticed, uh, the housing starts were up like 17% uh, on Friday. So that's big. And while national student dent, uh, dent, student loan default rate was 10.10%, it was 15.6% at historically black colleges and universities, 5.3% at women's colleges, and 9.45% at non-designated schools. So for-profit schools had a, a default rate of 15%, which is the worst, obviously. Nevada was the worst state at 188 Mississippi second. And uh, Massachusetts had the lowest at 5.8, uh, Vermont being right behind them. And 
The post office is one of the largest logistical businesses in the world, revenue of more than $70 billion. It delivers 40% of the world's mail. So having an organization social, organizational social conscience, however, isn't uh, new to the post office. Consider about 25% of the National Association of Letter, Letter Carriers members are military veterans. God bless them. All right. Remember, uh, there's a thing called the SECURE Act that was just passed. It was just signed away. And uh, a lot of people uh, now who were who expecting to take a required minimum distribution at age 70 and a half can wait till age 72. But just for, don't forget, you can no longer stretch an IRA. They are going to be grandfathered. But from here on in, you got to do some other things. It's a financial planner's best day, probably. <laughs> anyway... Um, you know, everybody's talking about the Fed, and, and for good reason. They went from being so tight uh, to not only lowering interest rates three times, but not taking back, you know, they were taking $50 billion out of the market every month for, for four years. And, you know, they weren't talking about it in the St. Louis Fed letter. Uh, at least, you know, I get it, and I, I didn't see it anyway, uh, until a year ago. So they were kind of doing it without telling anybody, which, you know, makes it a little bit more harder to digest. It really hit the small cap stocks in a big way. Uh, Small cap biotech got wiped out, small cap technology, small cap oil just wiped out. So all the people they saved that Bernanke saved back in 2008 and 2009, they just shot them again. (laughs) So the question is to QE or not to QE. And um, this is the question investors are pondering right now, I think, and Look, there's a record run for the U.S. stock market in the recent few months. And, and uh, you know, we said on the show we were expecting a melt-up three weeks in a row. Okay, the last week of September, first week of October, second week of October. We talked about a melt-up. And you know what? I, I had a lot of people look at me like I was nuts. But um, I just happened to notice that we have the first expansion of the Fed's balance sheet in the last five years. And so... The question is, are we raising concerns that the risk asset rallies are being fueled by the Fed? And that's a, that's a major question. So since last September, the Fed's balance sheet has grown by almost $400 billion, and the S&P has rallied nearly 13%. What a coincidence. <laughs> but this week, the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas, uh, Robert Kaplan, was, was latest to weigh in on the idea the Fed may be behind the rally in risk assets, and he voiced a concern that the Fed is contributing to elevated risk asset valuations. Uh, you know, once again, we're going back to the, you know, growth versus uh, value type of thing. Beyond the Fed's balance sheet, though, perhaps somewhat related to the current stance of the Fed policy is the lack of a threat posed from U.S. Treasury yields that they may be supporting risky assets. So they're keeping yields down, which, keep you know, means P.E. ratios go up. And we would focus more on the attention of the dynamic uh, than on the progression of the Fed's balance sheet. And I think while Treasury yields may be, uh, positive for the stock market and valuations, the Treasury market appears to be pricing a somewhat more subdued economic outlook. All right. Uh, now, look, one thing that is bugging me about this and why I'm saying that that subdued outlook is that the global market for negatively yielding debt securities is on the rise. It's up past $15 trillion now. Uh, well, it's just a hair below 15 now, but it got above 15 a couple weeks ago. So uh, there we go. Anyway, you know, uh, about a year ago, uh, we talked about preferred shares. And you, by the way, they have all my shows podcast. So if you don't believe me, we you know we go back about a year and we talked about preferred shares, uh, and, and we still we still like them, but we're kind of neutral on the valuations now. Now you got to be a lot more picky. Okay, so we do have a best idea list. If you'd like to get that, once again, you know, go to the uh, contact me or email me uh, type of thing. I did notice uh, I was looking at the presidential futures. Uh, Now, look, uh, the Republican candidate right now is above its uptrend line, which is very positive. But it did break a double bottom just recently and is in a column of O's. And this comes from uh, in Iowa. There's an electronic uh, market out there for the president. It's a real money market where they they make bets. Uh, The Democratic Party, which was in a column of O's, just went into a column of X's. So uh, that that'll probably go on for a while. Uh, Who knows? And, and I looked at sector performance, and, you know, we talked about these. And, and by the way, if you would have been listening to the show, you would have could have got on board all these because they became favored sectors at one time or another. Gaming was number one uh, for the first, for the year. Uh, it was up about 44 percent. 
Biotech was 30, semiconductors were 62, drugs were 11, and healthcare was 21. Uh, machinery was 34 too, which is interesting. Uh, and I, I, but you know, those are the top sectors as we for the fourth quarter, they were up 20, 24, 19, 11, and 10. Uh, so th- what they did was they did pretty good in, in ni- ni- uh, 2019, but they did great in the fourth quarter. And the worst groups in the fourth quarter were real estate, housing, uh, um, electric utilities, restaurants, and gas utilities. So uh, it's an interesting perspective on the markets there. Um, you know, I started to look at a, a shopping list of a lot of good dividend ideas, and I've seen a lot in cash cows and in healthcare. Um, and I'll just leave it at that. I've, I've got a list of them, uh, and it's some names that you probably wouldn't recognize. There are a few ETFs that look pretty good in that category, too. Um, I mean, I, I prefer buying the individual stock simply because you get the, the you know, they, they take their fee out and said, you know, you get your uh, full dividend. Uh, and I've got a couple in the uh, uh, the insurance area. I've got a couple in the, in the manufacturing area that look really, really good. Uh, and I've got a couple uh, in, and I call the cash cow area uh, that look fairly good. So dividends are still important, folks. Dividends are big time. Uh, one one is a really interesting one because it's both technology and dividend, and uh, we'll see what happens. You know, uh, Lori Calcivina had a couple things, comments that she uh, she chimed in on. If you know who Lori is, she's our chief strategist. She said, small caps still haven't broken out. So all these indexes are going crazy, and the small caps are nowhere to be found because the money is not just now getting into the market. And she's, she remains slightly overweighted to the small caps relative to the large caps just simply because they're cheap. And she said small cap positioning has a little more room to run. And she thinks that, uh, you know, the small caps remain deeply, deeply undervalued compared to large caps. And there's a lot of evidence that industrial comp- company uh, economy is healing. Uh, seems to, I think you need that for a small cap uh you know, scenario to break out. And, you know, I, I talked to uh, Linda this week, uh, Linda, I hope you're listening to this today. Um, and she, she went off on her dog, you know, and I have a big old Labrador, you know, named Gunner. He's a great dog. And, um, look, we, his nickname is Chewbacca. Okay. Because I've spent about $3,000 pulling things out of his stomach and that's what Labradors do. But the pet industry is a huge industry now. And I know of one stock that I bought a long time ago, and I keep threatening to buy it again, and I haven't bought it since. And it's been a, a tremendous winner in the healthcare area for pets. But pets are a big, big area. And, and you know, look, in, <laughs> pet spending was $17 million, uh, $17 million in, in 1994. It's, uh, I mean, $17 billion. It's now $73 billion. That, you know, so I just I made sure that she understood that we knew about that. <laughs> Stay tuned. This is Smart Investor Show. Okay, we're back. If you just tuned in, this is Smart Investor Show. And. You know, I had a uh, interesting conversation uh, with a guy named Charlie this week. Charlie's a sharp guy. Um, you know, I think he, he's got things uh, <laughs> a, a little bit, you know, uh, sideways sometimes. But uh, I've talked to him before, he, uh, and he said, you know, hey, if you why aren't things collapsing if things are so overbought? Well, let me explain something to you. <laughs> First of all. Just because Tim Hayes on on WHK radio uh, says that everything's overbought doesn't mean the market's going to go down. Okay, it's going to go up until it goes down. However, I think it's you know look. I also said uh, I I talked to the same gentleman back in October and he said I was nuts because he thought the market was going to get killed. Hmm. Uh, I was saying that you know we'd have a melt up and he took. He took uh, a you know a challenge to that, shall we say? So look, it, the the market is overbought. It's way overbought. Like I said, you know, on Apple's chart, you could probably hang your hat. So I what what I'm suggesting is, and and by the way, I didn't tell anybody to get bearish. 
All right. Uh, I said, don't get too bearish. So, Charlie, there you go. Don't get too bearish. It's We're going to go up until we go down. You just got to know that you're really overbought. And I talked about Apple and Microsoft and what huge percentage of the S&P 500 they are. And so, you know, you don't want to be chasing stocks. You want to wait for them. All right. I, I didn't say I, I never said sell. Never once did I say sell. Now, I will say this. I looked at, you know, the the, the rankings on the Dorsey Wright system. And, you know, it, it goes from negative, uh, you know, down to one, all the way up to four and a half, five, six area. And we're at 4.61 for the equity core position and large cap growth at 4.64. So that means they're overbought. I also say the cash position is at its lowest level that I've seen in about the last, you know, four or five years. So sometimes things turn around. We also have this big difference between value and growth. Now, growth is picked back up again. They keep throwing money in the S&P 500. You know, they did that with the Nifty 50 back in, uh, <laughs> and everybody says, oh, it's never going to change. Well, they did that with the Nifty 50 back in the 70s, and it changed, and it changed in a hurry. And a lot of people got killed. All right, so I'm just I'm just telling you. See, I'm telling you what I see. That's what it comes down to. Now, look, I think if you look at overbought situations, which you know, look, the high low index, which is the number of new highs and new lows, is at 94. Okay, that's a high number. You know, uh, uh, back at the begin uh, at the end of the last year, uh, I, I'm sorry, 2018. You know, we were at two. Was the high low index okay? So, um, look, it it the chart is especially uh, good at, at at looking at you know looking for uh, washed out conditions in the market, but <clears throat> um, it also notice you know finds you have like potential buying opportunities and and you know that type of thing. But when it's above ninety, uh, you know I I think you got to look at the next six months. The average return is about. Seven point eight one percent. Now, that's the six month return. There's four times we've lost money, and there were several times we had nineteen percent returns, seventeen percent returns, ten, twelve percent returns. You know, so just because it's overbought, you know, I said don't get bearish. Okay, so what may be happening is we may change leadership. Maybe Apple doesn't go up at all. I mean, Apple. You know, Apple didn't earn any more money this year than it did last. The P.E. ratio doubled. So the P.E. ratio went from 13 to, to 26, 27. So they didn't earn any more money. So define again why they went up 100%. All right. So there's there's no sell signal in Apple. I haven't said. I just said it's a parabolic. That doesn't mean you sell it. Not yet anyway. So generally speaking, the overbought condition of the high-low is a function there being more new highs than lows. It's that simple. All right? Uh, And if you look at some of like the S&P 500 trust or the QQQ trust, these things are up. You know, the QQQ is up almost 20% since I said a melt up. The S&P 500 is up 14. So, but that doesn't mean you have to sell everything. I said don't get bearish. All right? Don't get bearish. So BlackRock this week, uh, Mr. Fink came out and said that, you know, coal and oil basically will not be in their portfolios anymore. BlackRock is the largest money manager. I think they've got it wrong, but uh, that's up to them. Uh, you know, he, he's he's using his company as a political uh, scenario. And, uh, you know, I'll just leave it at that. But uh, you should all know about that. So that ESG portfolio, environmental, social, and governments, which we've been talking about for some time, and I've got a lot of portfolios in the, along those lines, are is now hit the big time. Okay, so, you know, think about that next time you're investing, and uh, we'll leave it at that. You know, it was really interesting uh, last week when stocks rallied on reduced M- Middle East tensions, uh, and then they blew up a place yesterday, and several servicemen were hurt, and the market's was up on Friday for the most part. Um, the NASDAQ was up uh, drastically. Now, the NASDAQ is uh, not only above its, way above its 200-day moving average, but it's way above its 50-day moving average. Is way above its 20-day moving average, which is 
very unusual. SPX, you know, the Standard Poor's is the same way. Dow Jones is the same way. Dow Jones actually broke through this range that I was talking about the of, you know, when you have higher highs and higher lows, how you just you put lines under each one of them. That's what they call a trend. Now we're above that trend. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens from here. Um, very interesting to see what happens from here. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that, um, uh, well, I'm not sure it's the end of the world. I just think, like I said, you know, the question is, how do we change leadership? And do we change leadership? Are they going to keep putting money into these stocks that are trading at 80 and 90 times earnings? Uh, you know, Apple's a really high-quality company. It does have services, but 70% of its income or revenue comes from uh, selling equipment. Equipment manufacturers don't normally have P.E. ratios in the 27-28 area. They usually are 15, 13, 14. So it'll be interesting to see. But look, the market cycle remains supportive of some further upside uh, through 2020. Remember, I talked about the four-year cycle, two years up, two years sideways, two years up, two years sideways. And in that sideways movement, there's usually some lookout belows, which we we suffered through for the last two years. You know, but I, I think the weekly momentum is kind of incrementally peaking for a lot of the more cyclical indices. I, I see it. I'm, I've been looking at indices time and time again, and I, I um, you know, we're getting some negative, you know, turn. They're turning down and get some negative lagging indices, you know, that type of thing. Uh, intermediate term, multi-month uptrends remained intact, though. Okay, so you're getting some daily stuff, but the weekly stuff is still positive. So I, I think, you know, you're likely to have a pause, a pullback. Uh, it might get scary. Who knows? Um, you know, just remember, when the stochastic on Apple Computer gets to where it's been on the monthly, this is on a monthly chart now, it's had a pretty good-sized correction. And and everybody talks about Apple, but Apple's had one, two, three, four, five different fifty percent corrections. All right, so don't chase things. That's all I'm suggesting. You're overbought. Now, I, I would suggest that growth stocks are continuing to reaccelerate, uh, as you know, which is which kind of you know threw me off kilter a little bit. But uh, I'm in them. I just haven't been adding to them. That's the problem. All right. So if I looked at the uh, uh, Technology, you know, technology. The financial processes and softwares are accelerating growth, and I have one stock that's uh, one of our top picks that I really, really like in that area. Um, but uh, you know, I looked at the weekly um, S and P five hundred chart, and the momentum is overbought, and looks like it's turning south. And I, I don't think it's going to be a big move. I have noticed that the the advanced decline line continues to hit new highs, which is extremely positive. And the S&P versus bonds, the S&P is winning, okay, so uh, on a relative strength basis. That's what you want to see. So on the daily uh, thing, we're, we're a little bit overbought. And I, I think, you know, what you're going to see, the quadrant balance uh, data, which is it measures the percentage of stocks with rising daily momentum, is bottoming and suggesting another upside move in February. So we're going to be overbought for a while. Uh, now, I, I don't see that in the small cap area. Uh, if I look at the, you know, um, the weekly uh, quadrant balance data, it's actually turned down. Uh, so the Russell 2000 is the only index that has not hit a new high, uh, with the exception of the transports. The transports keep having a couple uh, blowups, but, you know, they were at a new high, so they've just been uh, correcting. So the point is... Um, I think it could be a relatively shallow pause, but I, I, I think then we'll go to new highs on the Russell. If I look at the daily, the daily, the short-term momentum has peaked, but it's down south enough where it could be bottoming any minute now. The real problem here is that the relative performance versus the S&P 500 is nowhere to be found. And like I said, you know, growth versus value has picked up and headed north again, uh, which is contrary to everything that everybody's talking about. And, uh, like I said, I'm not negative. Uh, I, I, I own growth stocks, but, you know, I don't know what to tell you at this point. I looked at the Citigroup economic surprise, and it's still in a pretty good, you know, it has room to expand basically through to 2020. Now, I did notice the advance uh, or the AAII, uh, American Association of Individual Investors, uh, bull bear spread advanced not to an extreme like it did in, in the first quarter uh, of 2018. Uh, so, 
you know, it, it's turned over and headed south, which is not bad. You want people to be bearish. <laughs> you know, they're all talking about when's when's the, bear, the bull market ending, and, you know, that's what you want them talking about. You know, as long as they're talking about that, you're probably in good shape. So now I was looking at, at you know, I, I talked about the global markets and the EFA. Um, you know, the problem with the EFA is the relative performance versus the S&P 500 remains in a downtrend. Uh, but it is it has a nice little up leg going and the EEM also has that. But the EEM, the difference is if you if I look at the relative strength versus the S&P 500, it's reversing its downtrend. And that's important. So it looks like you want to be more in the emerging markets than you do in the in the, the regular markets. But uh, you never know. The TLT or the bond ETF for the 10 year Treasury um, seems to have broken its uptrend line. Um, that usually means that we're expecting higher yields coming up. Uh, the dollar still remains in this downtrend. Now, it's rallied up to the downtrend line, um, you know, and we said it, there'd probably be a rally. It was at 96.3, I think, and then there's rally. And that and crude has sold off because of that, and, and gold has sold off a little bit because of that, too. In the meantime, uh, the banking index still looks great. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with the Bullish Percent. This is the Smart Investor Show. Okay, we're back. If you just tuned in, this is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. Once again, if you'd like to have a cup of coffee or you want to talk about your portfolio, if you go to WHK1420 and go to local podcasts, you go down to Tim Hayes and Smart Investor Show, it goes directly to my webpage, and there's all sorts of contact me, email me. It actually has my telephone number, which, by the way, is 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. By the way, it's... That's an 800 number because some people are local, but you wouldn't believe how many people are listening to my podcast. I just had some people, I told you, from Kansas City, some people from Florida, some people from South Carolina, and uh, now we have some people from Kentucky uh, that listened last week. So they uh, they actually called me, and, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we could talk about your portfolio. Uh, I'm actually going to see some of these people uh, in the near future, so it'll be interesting. Um but anyway, we, we always take this time out to, to talk about the bullish percent. And the bullish percent was designed as a risk monitor uh, type scenario with charts. And one of the things that you find out is when we get into a period of time when there's distribution, uh, you should be a little bit more careful. And when you at a time when we're in accumulation, uh, you have the offensive team on the field. So this was designed by some people back in the 30s who want to be bullish at the bottom and bearish at the top. And so they designed this, and it's just a chart that goes from 0 to 100, and it's, it's, it's the box trade, okay? So the X's, has, we have the offensive team on the field, which is where we are right now. And when we get over 70, that's when it's the hot zone, okay? It's, it's the red zone. That's when it's too hot to handle. That's when everything, everybody's talking about the market. It's going to 10,000, you know, whatever. Uh, that's when you should be worried. Then we get below 30, which is called the green zone. And that's when you you know you're you're bummed out. You don't even want to hear about the stock market, okay? Um, and that's when you should be greedy. It's that simple. So right now, we're but by the way, there's other things we look at. We look at the relative strength of like right now, domestic equities are the number one asset class. International equities are second. They haven't gained any ground lately, though. So it'll be interesting to see. I think the dollar has to start to slip further for international equities to go higher. Same with commodities, by the way. But um, you know it. it in 2007 and eight, domestic equities were the lowest uh, on the relative strength scale. So it didn't make sense to be in them, okay? Uh, now they're number one. So just remember that when you're, when you're panicking, if the market starts to tank a little bit here. Um, anyway, but the New York Stock Exchange bullish, extent, uh, bullish percent is at 63.7. It was up just 0.5 after having a big week the week before. Uh, so we're getting closer to 70. We're not there yet. But, uh, you know, by the way, you go, from 63 to 70 could take months. OK, uh, the over the counter end is at 53.3, up 0.8, uh, still in a great buying position. So the small caps are still the place, you know, that uh, the cheapest anyway. The world index is at 51.1. Once again, a really good place to buy. So what we have is all major bullish percent indicators are in X's at midfield, although, uh, you know, the New York is a little bit ex- extended of the midfield. Uh, we we have positive trend indicators are at midfield. That's good. 
The high low indexes are at ninety, which is overbought. But you know we discussed that earlier, and uh, you know look, uh, intuition would lead one to expect an increase in volatility, uh, volatility towards the end of the year, uh, alongside the increasing number of market participants. And we see this typically holds true. The average number of days where the market is up or down 1% or picks up more slightly over the last three months of the year with just over 16 and a half days average compared to the average level of 15 days of the quarter. So last quarter was an exception. There are only five days where the S&P 500 made a 1% move, which is very unusual. There's been a few times, uh, like in 1992, 93, 95, uh, 2006, 2016, and 2017, where that that occurred. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens from here. And uh, look, you know, if you know, given the strong run in domestic equities that we that was demonstrated in 2019, one might expect markets to cool off a bit in the new year. Okay, but that's not the case. It's not rarely the case. And I, I, I suggested that, you know, we have, we have no sell signals or anything. And I'll just say this, is that only eight of the, let's see, there was 24 occurrences since 1928 where we could see there were, uh, the preceding years saw negative re- annual returns when average return in the following year, 6.8%. So the current state of domestic equity indicators would certainly support the indication of potential for further upside over the next 12 months. I mean, I don't see anything, you know, and by the way, as goes the first day of January, goes the year, as goes the first week of January, goes the year, as goes January, goes the year. Well, we're up 4% so far. So that's a good indicator. I, I You know, I noticed that the Dow Jones turned positive again. Um, now, what's interesting is the uh, emerging markets have been positive for five weeks, but the, the, the more, uh, the bigger markets internationally have been negative for eight weeks. So that's kind of a different, the, the small cap and mid cap stocks have been negative for about two or three weeks now. Uh, the QQQ has been positive for five straight weeks. That's where all the money's going. Uh, the equal weight uh, S and P five hundred has been negative for three weeks, and the and the S and P five hundred has been positive for twelve weeks, and the XLJ for twelve weeks. The money's being shoved into the big stocks, folks, and um, you know that happened in the seventies, and it was a very bad experience at the end. So you know uh, you want to be careful. Um, you know, I looked at a lot of ETFs over the weekend, and, uh, you know, I looked at all of them and and looked at their overbought readings on the Dorsey Wright system. The QQQs are at 122%. Uh, Spiders, uh, or the SP 500, at 95 The emerging markets are at 85 These are pretty high numbers. So, uh, now, we also talk about the, the bullish percent for each one of the individual sectors, and on this show, we talk about the favored sectors, and the reason we talk about the favored sectors is because that's where you want to put your money, okay? Uh, you'll find that in 95% of the cases, uh, the worst stock in a favored sector will outperform the best stock in an unfavored sector, okay? Now, some of these are getting overbought a lot, okay? But we did drop. We were at 20 last week. We went to 19 favored sectors this week. Gaming, uh, and I'm only going to talk about favored sectors here. Gaming's at 80 it's a pretty high number. Remember, 70 is the red zone. Semiconductors is 75. Uh, so these are not, you know, I, I think you want to wait on purchases here. Matter of fact, if you're in them, you might want to peel part of your position off. You know, that's the way you do things. Machinery, steel, and electric utilities are at 70. That's still pretty high numbers. Forest and paper products are 65. For traders, that's not a bad place to, to buy. Remember that. I said traders, not investors. Um, at 60 is building, transportation, leisure, Computers, electric products, restaurants, and waste management. That's an okay place. Once again, it would be traders. Uh, healthcare is at 54, uh, which is not a bad place to be. Uh, real estate, drugs, restaurants, and biotechs are at 50, uh, which is a good place to buy things. And oil just went positive at 30. So oil go, oil stocks go positive, and oil drops, you know, makes a double top. Isn't that interesting? Just very, very interesting stuff going on lately. So... Uh, we did have housing move just to average, uh, you know, it's still positive, it's still favored sector. And uh, telephony just moved uh, from completely unfavored to getting closer. Now, international stocks are kind of interesting right now because uh, the EEM is fairly overbought. So I think you want to be being more careful. 
But I did notice the Shanghai bullish percent, which is the Chinese uh, markets, uh, popped into a column of X's. Now, you know, it was way up. The bullish percent for them was way up at 74. And I basically said, uh, you know, be careful with China because of the trade thing. It went all the way back down to the 30s, popped up a little bit, went all the way back down to 20s, uh, 22, and then now reversed back up. So, uh, you know, China might be a place to put a little bit of cash on a pullback. Um, buy everything on a pullback right now is Tim's opinion. And I did notice that also, you know, if I was looking at the international, emerging Europe, Asia Pacific developed, and Europe developed are the top three, and Africa and the Middle East are the worst, so uh, on the dynamic asset level investing. Also, Turkey broke its downtrend line, uh, which has been in place for several years now, two or three years, uh, which is uh, the first positive that we've seen in that group for a long, long time. And I, I also noticed a lot of the the, uh, the eurozone type funds had been had sold off and now have reversed back up. So it'll be interesting to see if they take off because uh, the euro funds are cheap. As far as fixed income is concerned, the convertible bonds, which we talked about at nauseum this summer, are now the number one asset class. They they made, you know, six or seven ETFs that I follow. I, I bought some mutual funds with them. Uh, literally are up 25% plus the 2 3 4% dividend yield. So uh, that was a good call on our part. The other thing I'm noticing is that if you look at the high-yield group versus the government group or what we call, you know, so we look at a 10-year spread, um, it has been tightening. And usually um, tend to, they tend to rise when they see economic trouble on the horizon. So we'll see what happens there. But the spread really broke down hard. So it's at three. That's the lowest I've seen, uh, you know, since uh, 2018. So we'll see what happens. Uh, also, I noticed that the Van Eck uh, uh, froze, uh, Fallen Angel High Yield Fund, so these are the real, this is the dregs of community, uh, have reversed back up. Uh, so it would be interesting to see what happens there, too. Uh, crude oil uh, went negative last week. It looks made, like, like it made a double top. Gold's still positive, uh, up about six weeks, and copper's up about seven weeks in a row. So there we go. I did notice one thing. If I look at the continuous commodity uh scenario uh you know it, it had popped up and fell right back off so, uh, so i was looking at it compared to the s&p 500 uh so that's you know commodities have once again fallen south now we always talk about relative strength in this chart on this uh show and what we're doing here is we're getting uh we've started talking about the economy in the beginning of the show we've coming down to ideas now you know i'm not recommending any of these ideas you do business with me, I'll tell you what to buy, <laughs> all right? So relative strength is a measure of how a stock is performing when compared to something else. In this case, it's the S&P 500 equal weight. So here are the buy signals, and these can last for a pretty long time. Uh, uh, you know, Open Text is a company that uh, has been the – it's been on a relative strength buy signal now for 14, 15 years. Dana Harrison for 20, so they can last for a long time. Five-star senior living, that's a little $5 stock. Enphase Energy, uh, it's uh, Dermia, which I think I've taken over. Um, DBV Technologies, which is biotechnology. Evalent Health, uh, Geldwind Holdings, which is construction. Uh, Kala Pharmaceuticals. Remember, there was a bunch of insider buyers there, too. Uh, Best, which is industrial services and goods. And Billaby, which is uh, an ADR. On the sell side, ATI. Calavada Growers, F5 Networks, Ion Geophysicals, Coles, MBIA, Tenneco, and Tillys. We'll be right back with Insider Buy. Stay tuned. This is Smart Investor Show. Okay, we're back. If you just tuned in. Uh, this is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. And once again, if you'd like to have coffee and talk about your portfolio, uh, start a wealth plan, and and even talk about uh, some of the things we offered. Uh, you know, I, I keep talking to people about uh, our Savvy Investor uh, Credit Workbook and our global insights for the year and our, our best ideas in the global income. And uh, I think global income is going to be, become very, very important soon. So, but... Uh, just go there, contact me, email me, call me. <laughs> I do answer the phone. 
Uh, there's an 800 number, even if you're in Ohio, it's, it works. 888-223-7742. Uh, that's 888-223-7742. And I'm, I'm even threatening uh, maybe in the near near future to have a couple live shows so you can call in. Uh, so just see what my schedule is. I, I am going to take a vacation soon, so we'll leave it at that. Anyway, we talk about insiders here. Why do we talk about insiders? Because insiders tend to buy. I mean, you should see some of the insider buys recently. They were terrible last year. And this year, they're not going to cover off the ball. All right? So uh, I would really get my pencil and paper handy and jot down some of these names. I'll leave it up to you to whether you buy them. I'm not recommending any of these names. I'm just telling you who's buying. All right, the first one, Kevin Tang. You know who Kevin Tang is? You should know him. Uh, LaJolia Pharmaceuticals. This was a $60 stock a while back. Kevin bought 2.971 million shares. That makes him his it increases his position by 56%. Pretty big uh, position. It's over 8 million shares now, or it's right around 8 million shares, I should say. But the CFO bought, the C- chief science officer, another director, the CEO uh, and the chief medical officer all bought about 30,000 shares with Kevin. It's always nice of Kevin to uh, uh, buy right in front of him. Um, also, uh, Intercoastal announced this week that they have, which is a Intercoastal Capital, which is an LLC or a hedge fund, whatever you want to call it. Uh, they own a passive stake of 9.9% in Athlon Medical. It's a very small little stock. I've been seeing more and more of the little names being uh, suddenly people buying. And uh, also ICAD, uh, Michael Klein, who's the chief executive's officer, bought 110,000 shares. Three other directors bought 30 each, and another director bought 40,000 at nine just recently. Uh, they're, they do some very interesting stuff in technology. And also uh, uh, John Koenig, uh, he's the director of Maris, but a uh, about eighty three thousand shares uh, of Mar- Maris Envy. That's a, a small biotech company. Uh, for about one point two million, he he bought eighty three thousand shares. He owns one point six five seven million shares now. Okay. Um, ES Capital rate, uh, has a stake in Broad Vision of twenty four percent now. They they bought uh, a whole bunch more just. It went from 20% to 24% in the last two weeks. Uh, it's Broad Vision. And then Trinity. This is a company that uh, is in the oil business. They they make the, the train cars that uh, move oil. Uh, Brandon Bose. If you don't know who he is, you should look him up again. He bought $1.849 million. And then uh, just on Friday, he bought $677,000 worth. So that's a tune of about what about two uh, three, three point. No, 2.8, 2.7, I don't know, something like that. Anyway, um, Osmotica Pharmaceuticals, uh, which has an interesting profile. They got beat up a little bit here. They were an $8 stock. They're now four ninety eight, And two directors stepped in and bought $6.25 million worth of stock each. Uh, you like seeing that. And then uh, VT Therapeutics, which is VTVT, VT, uh, McAndrews and Forbes, which uh, is an LLC, purchased just 1.25 million shares. Now, remember, I believe that uh, Ron Perlman owns a uh, substantial stake in VT Therapeutics also. So you have two pretty big hitters now uh, purchasing that. So we'll see what happens. And then um, Appenix, uh, which is in, in another little small biotech. We had a director buy $500,000 worth. Another uh, the, uh, the CEO bought two hundred fifty. Uh, another, and I'm sorry. The CFO bought 250. Another director bought 100, and the CEO bought 105, and he owns a ton of it. And then um, another director, uh, who, who is a very smart guy, bought 10 million dollars worth. Isn't that interesting? So uh, you know, you have these guys buying right around the 370 level after it got knocked down from four four bucks, and they just start they all start buying all of a sudden. And then finally, at a new high. Uh, Melody Hobson, who's a very bright young lady, uh, actually, she's a young lady to me anyway, uh, bought $1.996 million worth of J.P. Morgan at a new high. Isn't that interesting? At a new high. So uh, obviously there's a lot of people betting that J.P. Morgan's going higher because, uh, you know, 
the last three major insider buys, J.P. Morgan, have all been at new highs. And I think each one of them, uh, the stock's up 20 25% since then. So I looked at the Dow Jones Industrial, and it worries me a little bit because we just broke through the uptrend line. Um, so it reminds me of uh, Toy Story. And I, w- which, I can't remember which character, but I kept yelling, to infinity and beyond. All right? Uh, so... We're at new highs. Uh, there's lots of concerns from investors. You know, Iraq just bombed something and we rally. You know, that's unusual. We got an impeachment hearing going on. We rally. Um, so we saw the earnings numbers. You know, they beat the estimates by a good margin last quarter. And the, the markets could be set up for some further surprises. Uh, it would be really interesting to see the small caps start to lead because they are probably four or five standard deviations below large caps at this point. Uh, and, you know, so you talk about value, uh, the small caps have plenty of it. Um, so anyway, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at things and I'm saying to myself, you know, what, what should I be doing? Well, a few things that I saw. The semiconductor index, you know, we, uh, we talked about it back, I believe it was in June. Uh, and, you know, we, we suggested, you know, the, the index was right then at about 3,000. It's now at 4,400. That's a pretty big move, folks, and it's 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 broken above all resistance now, and uh, that res- you know the resistance uh, occurred about thirty nine hundred, so it's up about five hundred b- points above that, and it's happened since November. I think the you know uh, there could be a chance for a pause. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, just me thinking out loud, anyway. And then I looked at the ten year Treasury, and the reason I thought there would be a pause is that you know we had a kind of a flat top at about one point nine percent. Uh, on the yield now. I'm talking about the yield. And we had a series of higher lows. Well, we broke through that this week. So we broke that uptrend line, which usually means that people are getting more more and more worried about the economy. And that may be why we see that, you know, quantitative easing starting to happen again. You know, the Fed balance sheet moving back up. So the new highs in the stock market are capturing the tension as of late. Well, other areas of commodity prices and interest rates have been moving down for the last past month. What's that all about? You know, that might mean that we're getting close to a blow off top. Who knows? But it could be that the lower rate inflation trends are helping to boost the stock market to some degree. But considering the already low levels of the economic indicators, there might not be too much room for them to move substantially lower. Uh, However, the near term trends are starting to look down for those. So, uh, you know, I think that the 10 year Treasury yield has stalled quite a bit. And, um, you know, we'll leave it at that. Now, defense broke out, as we said last week. And we don't we want to mention that Business Week and Bloomberg Business Week had a particular company on the front of it and they were burning money. Uh, that usually tells me you're getting pretty close to a bottom. I mean, remember, magazine covers are there to get you into the get, get you to buy the magazine. They're usually a contrary indicator. All right. Now, the dollar, uh, you know, we we talked about it breaking out last week and now it's it's broken down. It broke down on a point and figure chart. However, it's it's rallied up a little bit to put an X on the chart. So, uh, you know, I don't know if we're going to get uh, a big move in it, but I think it's going to be there just enough uh, to make make everybody pay attention. Uh, the other thing is uh, Bitcoin did break its downtrend line, um, which is p- positive. And I do think that oil made a double top here. Uh, the way it, it sold off and on the volume it sold off on, uh, that, that 66 level, 65, 66 level will probably be a problem uh, coming up here, uh, at least in my humble opinion, okay? Um, I did notice that the uh, if you look at insiders, the insider ratio once again is, is getting negative. So there we go. Uh, small caps broke out, but they got a long way to go to be, to break out completely. So they broke out, but they didn't break out to a new high. They're still the laggard. And remember, Apple is now 4.8% of the S&P 500. Microsoft is now 4.45% of the S&P 500. The bottom 100 stocks are less than 3%. So the rest of the market is about 88%. Uh, you know, that's happened a couple times in history. One was 1974, right before the night, you know, the nifty 50 and all that good stuff. So, you know, be, be careful. You know, we're getting kind of parabolic on the, on the Dow and all that good stuff. So 
Short term, I'm bullish, but we're extended. Okay, so you got. I think we got to digest that. Uh, intermediate term, I'm bullish. I'm extremely bullish long term, and I, I'll just leave it at that. So, look, uh, this would be a good time to start to look at some ideas. Uh, I think if the dollar continues to go down, international stocks and commodities will do okay. And so I'd be looking at global income ideas. I think, uh, you know, we have that. We have our dividend growth portfolio. It's, you know, they have been kind of lagging a little bit compared to the the big, you know, rocket ships that are out there. The prime income list, for those of you who are retired looking for, remember dividends are priced, are taxed at 15% versus your regular income. You know, a CD is taxed at, uh, you know, your regular income, which is usually in the 20%, 25% area. Um, also, Look, energy, everybody hates energy. And, you know, even Larry Fink, you know, I think put, he put his job on the line by saying, hey, uh, you know, we're, we're going to do this uh, uh, environmental, social governance type of thing. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, how long he keeps his job based on that. Um, but we also have our global insights. So this is, a, you know, a pretty in-depth uh, scenario on what RBC is thinking and we've been right the last couple of years, you know, uh, we've been very, very right. And for those people out there, I tell you, the Savvy Investors Credit Workbook is, uh, I tell you, if you don't know how to use credit the right way, you should. You should just grab this. It's a short, short thing. It gives you some ideas of, of how to look at things. Uh, you know, I, I can also go into more detail if you like. In the meantime, our best ideas just came out for 2020. So, if you'd like to see those, please let me know also. In the meantime, have a great weekend. This is Tim Hayes, the Smart Investor Show. If you want to have coffee, it's 888-223-7742. Remember, buy low, sell high. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa. Dot com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar. RBCWFMA.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management.